0: The magical world of Harry Potter is home to an incredible range of fantastic beasts. Dragons, hippogriffs, thestrals, dementors, bogarts, mermaids, centaurs, phoenixes, the list goes on. But the beastie that I find most intriguing is the humble house elf an ugly little creature with the ability to use some terribly powerful magic, but apparently has such a low opinion of itself that it resorts to doing household chores for the least grateful witches and wizards that you can imagine. Also, Hogwarts students. We were first introduced to house elves in the second Harry Potter book, when Harry found one hanging out in his bedroom on Privet Drive. That particular house elf was named Dobby, and he's described as having large, bat-like ears, bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls, and donning an old, unclean tunic. In other words, he looked like Gunther. As time has gone on, though, we've met a number of house elves. In the Goblet of Fire book, we're introduced to Winky, a little lady with a drinking problem. We also learn that house elves are responsible for most of the maintenance, housekeeping, and meal prepping around Hogwarts, and that they're happy to do it. And then there's Creature the embittered but loyal servant of House Black who's introduced in Order of the Phoenix. I've also come across a cute little fella named Deke a few times while playing Hogwarts Legacy. And while I don't wanna spoil anything, I like the role he plays in the game. By the way, this episode will have no spoilers for Hogwarts Legacy, but be warned, there's some angry and bored people out there who don't like the game and are trying to ruin it for anyone who's playing it. So if you do happen to come across any spoilers in the comments, please flag them. It sucks that I even have to say that but this is the internet. And if you don't agree with the vocal minority, just watch out because they do not have lives and they will try to ruin yours. Anyway, as fascinating as house elves are, they are not an entirely original invention by JK Rowling. That's not to say she directly copied anybody, but as it turns out, magical little helpers have existed in folklore for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And depending on the culture you sample from, they can get weird as hell. Chapter one, household helpers. The creature that resembles Rowling's house elves the most has to be the Bruni, which has roots in 15th century Scotland and Northern England. Brunies are small creatures that are human in their shape, but can range from looking like dirty little men to straight up goblins. Similar to house elves, the Bruni lives in the home of the family it serves and helps them out with daily tasks like cleaning, as well as occasionally saving their lives. They prefer to avoid being seen, and like many mythical creatures, only come out at night. They're also very selective about their payment. They don't even want you to call it a payment. They prefer the term gift, and for that gift to be in the form of food, their favorites being milk and honey. If you make the mistake of leaving out money or clothes, they'll abandon your house and never come back, but it's not clear why. Some believe the Bruni gets offended that someone would assume they need payment beyond the satisfaction of helping. And others claim they simply want to return to the fairy realm they came from. It seems like Rowling was the first one who tied the act of payment to granting the servant freedom, a la Lucius Malfoy giving Dobby a sock. Master has given Dobby a sock. What? I didn't... Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. But I do appreciate her staying true to the folklore in the fourth book when Hermione goes all activist and starts to campaign for better treatment and payment of house elves, along with making them clothes. It sounds like a nice mission statement, but literally all of the elves who heard about it, besides Dobby, found it insulting. They took pride in the work they did for their masters and around the castle. To them, a job well done was payment enough. If you were unlucky enough to find yourself on a Bruni's bad side, either because you gave them payment they didn't want or insulted the quality of their work, they would become your worst nightmare. Not really, but they did get pretty annoying. They'd rearrange your furniture, set fires in your kitchen, and hide your property, like your toothbrush, keys, and AirPods. And those things are already hard enough to keep track of. The last thing you want is someone coming into your life for the sole purpose of hiding them. Brunies that engage in this type of behavior are called Bogarts, which is also the name of a Harry Potter creature that ironically can become your worst nightmare. You don't hear much about Brunies nowadays, and that's partially because during the Protestant Reformation, clerics associated all magic and whimsy with demons, naturally. So people were discouraged from leaving out food for them. Then as technology advanced and we got vacuums and scrub daddies, the need for magical little helpers just sort of faded, as did the belief in them. We used to have Brunies, now we have Roombas. Who's in charge of naming this shit? Tomti is another ridiculous name that household helpers in Sweden go by. It translates to homestead man. Tomty are domestic sprites that were responsible for the protection and welfare of the farmstead. Standing at a whopping three feet tall, resembling a wrinkly old man with a beard, and donning dirty old rags for clothes, they were a force to be reckoned with. Just like Brunies and many other magical assistants, the Tomty can be a great source of help around the house, but you need to express your appreciation if you want him to stick around. They enjoy food, especially bowls of buttery porridge with honey, and they also appreciate when the residents of the house do their own part to keep the place clean. If the tomty thinks they're the only ones carrying their weight, or worse, that you're neglecting your animals, they'll leave, and they'll kill your animals to end their suffering and begin yours. Questionable methods, but their heart's in the right place, I think. If you're a lazy ass living in Germany and notice chores getting done without your intervention, it's possible that a kobold is living in your house. Like the other helpers, kobolds are typically the size of children and their appearance is a mix between an elderly man and a goblin. They have a number of hangout spots outside of homesteads though, and they're not nearly as helpful in those environments. Back in the day, kobolds that were spotted on pirate ships and in coal mines were often blamed when something went wrong on those operations. Another German helper called a Heinzelmenschen has this in common with the kobold, but they were more specific to residential areas like the village of Cologne, and actually helpful. At least they were, until one lady decided to leave peas all over the floor so the mysterious helper would slip and fall allowing her to sneak a peek at him. Only the Heinzel mention was so offended by the trap that he took his elf homies and never came back to Cologne again. So as you can see, there are a lot of household sprites that are helpful to the homes they inhabit until they're disrespected. But there's one magical little monster that in my opinion, stands out among the rest. Chapter two, the Pooka. There's a rather infamous creature from Irish folklore called a puka. It was a shape-shifting mischievous fairy that could transform into both people and animals, but usually opted for dark colored horses and hair type creatures. Pukas preferred to live by rural communities near lakes and mountains and only appeared to humans at night. They enjoyed chatting with people they spotted traveling alone and owners of homesteads, typically using the same opening gambit to introduce themselves to people. Something along the lines of, I think you're new here. I used to live in this house many years ago. Some pukas even proceeded to give the strangers advice, protect them from harm, and deliver prophecies that may or may not have been true. There's a certain sect of Coraline fans who think the black cat is a puka since he's so knowledgeable about the other world, which is likened to the fairy realm, and offers advice and looks after Coraline. Once again, the creature in question has some positive qualities, but that's only if they take a liking to you. Depending on your relationship with them and where they reside, they can be kind, chaotic, or straight-up cruel. For instance, when they take the form of horses, they like to sneak up on drunkards walking home, offer them a ride to their destination. Then once they have them on their back, they'll take them for the wildest ride of their life around the countryside, just to drop them off exactly where they started. In Ireland's county down, the puka was a wizened little hobgoblin who showed up at people's houses demanding its share of the crops, even though it did nothing to earn it. In Lowes County, it was a terrifying shadowy phantom that chased lone travelers after sunset. To the In the south, he takes the form of a great eagle or bird of prey. And in the Midlands, it can be a black goat. Uh. Now at this point, you might be thinking, John, pukas sound almost nothing like house elves. Why are we talking about this? And how did I get here? And why am I in handcuffs? Rest assured, all of your questions will be answered, except for the last two. You see, one of the most famous stories featuring a puka was written by Irish poet, Lady Wilde, and included in her collection, ancient legends, mystic charms, and superstitions of Ireland. It's a pretty wholesome story, actually. In it, a farmer's son was doing his chores when he felt an invisible puka push by him. He called out to the puka, offering it a coat because it was cold outside. Then the puka transformed itself into a bull and told the son to meet him in the old mill that night. The boy did as he was told and found the puka had already completed all of his work by milling the sacks of corn into flour and the puka did this same favor for him every night. But one night, the boy hid in the barn to see the mysterious helper in his true form. Turned out, he was a dirty little humanoid wearing dirty little rags, and the farmer's son, wanting to repay him for his generosity, gifted him a present of a finely made silk suit. Unlike the helpers from the last section, the puka did not take the gift as an insult, but instead appreciated it. Still though, there were some unintended consequences. After the puka put on the suit, he apparently felt pretty good about himself because he was suddenly inspired to travel the world, which meant he could no longer work for the farmer. It didn't really matter to the farmer though. The puka's help had made him rich enough to retire and pay for his son's education. And as if that ending wasn't wholesome enough, when the farmer's son got married years later, the Pooka left him a gift of a golden cup that was filled with a drink that guaranteed he'd have a happily ever after. Pretty cute, right? And it kind of resembles the relationship between Dobby and Harry. Besides, in the early days when Dobby's attempts to save Harry's life did more harm than good. Though it does make me sad that Dobby didn't get to witness Harry's happy ending. You know he would have been in attendance for Harry and Ginny's wedding. I told myself I wasn't gonna cry this episode. As you can see, there is no shortage of mysterious magical helpers in folklore. They all have their own unique quirks, but I can't help finding it interesting that such a creature can be found in so many cultures. There's obviously something about these benevolent little sprites that resonates with humans around the world. And we'll get to the bottom of it after I shout out our sponsor. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but there's been a change of plans. This episode doesn't have a sponsor anymore. It did, until they found out I was talking about Harry Potter. I guess it was too spooky for them. I don't know. It's all good. It's their business and their decision. But they didn't tell me about that decision until this morning, which left me no time to find a replacement sponsor. So if you want to balance out the abandonment issues I'm going to be crying to my therapist about next week, I would really appreciate you dropping a like and maybe even commenting to give us a little algorithm boost. Totally your call. I appreciate you watching regardless. Anyway, let's get back to it. Chapter 3, Emotional Support Fairies. I don't think it's controversial to say that humans are, naturally, pretty lazy creatures. We're obviously all capable of a hard day's work, and there's some individuals and cultures that idealize a life dedicated to getting shit done. But if you were given the chance to never have to work again while still having all the money and resources you can need, you'd probably accept it in a heartbeat and no one would judge you for it. I think this intrinsic laziness is one of the reasons why magical helpers like Tomtys and Brunies appeal to us so much. Even if we like our work, we don't always want to do it, especially the boring monotonous work that happens every day. So we tell stories about benevolent creatures that fulfill our responsibilities and solve our problems without question because wouldn't it be nice? You can argue that this same phenomenon applies to stories like Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, where he just stumbles upon a genie that grants him every wish he makes, or Puss in Boots, who radically changed his owner's life for the better, getting him all the money and land he could possibly hope for. It reminds me of Daniel Tosh's old bit. How come when I'm walking down the street, a guy in a Ferrari never pulls up to me and says, hey man, you want this car? There's things about all of our lives that we desperately want to change, but can't. Sometimes it's because we're too lazy, like in Aladdin's case, but that's not always true. Other times it's because we genuinely don't see a way out and often people just resign themselves to waiting for some kind of divine intervention to save them. A perfect example of that would be the elves and the shoemaker story. In that one, a poor shoemaker only has enough leather to make one pair of shoes, not nearly enough to support he and his wife with, even if he did sell them. But one night he says his prayers before bed and wakes up to find that someone had used his leather to make a perfect pair of shoes, which he sells for more profit than usual. And then he buys even more materials to supply his mysterious helper with. Those familiar with the story know that his mysterious helper was a group of elves. Once again, we have a story with a main character who had lost control of his life and needed some help getting back on his feet a situation that everyone will relate to at some point, and therefore everyone will take comfort in hearing that it's possible to get back on your feet. Stories like Elves and the Shoemaker and creatures like the Bruni, Tomty, Kobold, and Heinzel mention provided a certain level of comfort to people in similar situations. I mean, think about the environments that these creatures appear in. Every single one sticks to houses located in rural areas, usually farms. Back in the 1800s and before, there was a risk of death wherever you were, but living out in the boonies meant you had no one to rely on but yourself. So believing that a small, mostly friendly creature was always present to help them with the shit work and guard their families was comforting to those with great responsibilities who would have felt alone and exposed without them. And if you were a servant who accidentally broke something, a pissed-off Bruni was a good scapegoat. Similar creatures exist in both Roman and Slavic folklore, known as Larys and Damavoy, respectively. And while domovoi still resemble ugly elf men, the Larys have a more angelic appearance. The key difference between these figures and the ones mentioned earlier, though, is that they're actually the spirits of deceased family members, which I think is a reflection of an individual's desire to keep their beloved mentors and guardians around. Say someone inherits their family farm, that's a lot of responsibility. And once again, it'd be a source of comfort to know that someone's there to help it run smoothly and keep their family safe. Even better if it's the people who raised them up and shared the farming chores with them. So to summarize, these household helpers have served a variety of purposes. They're scapegoats for when you need someone to blame, as well as emotional support fairies. I'll be honest though, I really don't know why so many of them were envisioned as three foot tall goblins covered in hair. What's your best guess? Let me know in a comment down below, as well as the rest of your thoughts on the creatures we cover. Did you know any of these existed? And if one were gonna move into your house, which one would you choose? Let us know by hitting up Messed Up Origins on Twitter or Instagram, or leave a comment on the YouTube version of this episode. Links to all of those are in the description. Before you head out though, if you learned something from this episode, make sure to rate our show five stars so the algorithm God smiled down on us and follow to have more mythology and folklore delivered to your device every week. I'll speak with you again soon, mere mortals. My name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.